The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Hey, our friend Nathan Hogan from Lake Murray Community Church is here. He and Tab have really been building a strong friendship, a strong partnership. They are good partners in the gospel here in East County. We love praying for them, praying with them. So Nathan's gonna come open the word for us this morning. Oh, thank you. They don't clap for me when I preach at <laughs> church normally, so don't feel like you have to either. Well, it's uh, good to be back with you uh, here today, and sorry that uh, Pastor Tab is not feeling well this morning, and thankfully I was already, he'd already asked me to preach uh, beforehand, so uh, it, uh, in the Lord's providence that works out. So uh, last time I was here over the summer, uh, while I was away from my church in La Mesa, and an airplane crashed on our property. Uh, thankfully everyone was fine, and all the repairs have been made, so I'm, I'm praying that uh, <laughs> sometimes, you know, you think things don't fall apart when you leave, and sometimes they do, actually, but uh, hopefully not today. Uh, I'd invite you to open up with me today from, uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. We're going to look at this small portion of 1 Thessalonians, this great letter. Sometimes it feels like when you're reading 1 Thessalonians, if you have before, that it can feel like you're reading almost one long thank you note uh, that Paul uh, wrote to this church in Thessalonica. I want to read just these few verses, uh, a few verses that, uh, that are somewhat similar, but also somewhat more passionate than these early sections in Paul's letters and some of his other letters. These early portions of Paul's letters are often filled with zeal and love for the body of Christ and the local church that he's worked with, and, uh, and you get a lot of that here in 1 Thessalonians. And so sometimes we skip over these early verses of Paul's letters, and yet they're also, they tend to be sometimes some of the most instructive for us on our love and affection for one another in the local church. Let me read for us again 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So for the reading of God's word. Uh, several months ago, our, we were sitting around our house and our teenage daughter, uh, she was just kind of looking through. We have one of these old chests or boxes in our house that maybe like yours that contains old things, old mementos and family memories and even things going back to when my wife and I were dating some quarter of a century ago. And uh, my teenage daughter was kind of just randomly digging through these things. And at one point, she pulled out these old love letters that I had written to my wife when we were dating. And uh, as you might, and then she starts to read them out loud and to the family, and they all, yeah, as you can imagine, they all made fun of me, and I blushed, but that doesn't take much. As you might expect, I found the whole thing to be kind of embarrassing. Now, not because my sentiments or feelings for my wife have changed. In fact, I, I love my wife more now than I did even then when we were dating. But just hearing all this gushy, flowery language, it's a bit embarrassing, especially when your kids are making fun of you as well. 
You know, a lot of those letters were written at a time in our dating life when my wife was working at a camp at the point, and uh, I was working down here and going to school, and we weren't that far apart geographically, but at that stage, it, it felt like we were generations and miles and miles apart. And that led to some fairly gushy love letters. And looking back now and hearing them read out loud now, it all feels a little embarrassing. And this section of 1 Thessalonians and a lot of the early sections of Paul's letters can sometimes feel a little bit like that. It can feel a bit like finding old, gushy love letters in front of your kids that are kind of embarrassing. The way Paul speaks of his affection for the local church can make you feel like maybe is this just a bit over the top? Of course, it's not. Now, Paul has spoken and written to this church in Thessalonica. He's, this is a church that Paul had been with for a very short period of time. He wanted to be with them longer, but uh, when he first visited and brought the gospel to them, he was forced to flee because of persecution. He, as he says here, he had tried to get back to them over and over again and, and had been hindered in various ways. And so Paul felt like he had a lot of unfinished business in this church, but hadn't been able to go back there. And this led to him writing in very lavish terms about his affection for them, about how he prays for them, about how he loves them. He talks about, he uses almost every family term you can use. And if you read in this first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks to himself or refers to himself as their father, their mother, their brother. I mean, almost every family relationship he uses here to describe his affection and relationship to them. And now here in our text, Paul speaks a bit more with intensity about how he wishes he could see them again face to face. Now, just as a brief caveat here, I just want to make this clear that as we look at this and as we hopefully reflect on our love for the body of Christ and in comparison with Paul's, that, you know, Pastor Tab did not ask me to come preach on this topic. You know, we're not in the habit of being a hired gun for one another. And Pastor Tab did not say, oh, there's some problems that need to be addressed. That's one of the reasons 1 Thessalonians is such a helpful book, because this is actually a church that excelled in loving one another. And yet, Paul wrote to them to do so more and more. So whether we're individuals who are struggling with loving one another in the body of Christ, or whether we're excelling by God's grace in loving one another in the body of Christ, Paul encourages us in the same way, to do so more and more. Paul writes words to the Thessalonians, who was a, a church who excelled back in, in, in chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Then he says, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So here was a church who was, who was loving one another well, who was growing in their love for one another, who was even known in the greater region of Macedonia for their love for one another and for surrounding churches even. And Paul says they're loving each other so well that they don't even technically need more instruction, and yet he also says do so more and more. So whether you're really struggling with your affection for the Lord's people, which happens, or whether you're bursting in affection for the Lord's people, 
the exhortation for us is the same, to grow in this. And sometimes this feels even more intense, this affection, just like it was for Paul when he was absent from this church. When you face people and loved ones in your church leaving and moving, as we just mentioned earlier, sometimes that affection becomes even more real in our feelings and emotions. Now, when we read Paul's affection for the church, I don't know about you, but often when I read them, it's easy more for me to see the gaps in my own affection for the church in comparison with Paul's. And if you feel like this, you're not alone, nor is it new. I was reading some from Chrysostom, the early church father around the fourth or fifth century, and he was writing about this portion of 1 Thessalonians, and he commented and marveled and basically said, what kind of affection is this that someone has for a church? As if this love for Thessalonica could not be restrained, Paul talks about it. So it's nothing new if you read texts like this and think, what kind of affection is this that Paul has for the church? And we want to see some of that this morning together. So as we begin this new year, I think it's good for us to do a little checkup on our affection for one another. Some regularly scheduled maintenance, if you will. As we see Paul speak lavishly about his own affection and longing to be with this church, I think we can use this as a chance to highlight some of our own weaknesses when it comes to loving one another, and not just loving the church in general. It's, either talk, it's easy to talk about loving one another when they're not real people. You say, oh, I love the church. But Paul's talking about a church of real people, real individuals with real struggles and trials and tribulations and temptations. Love is harder when it has a face on it. And as we'll see, Paul speaks lavishly of his own affection. And as we see this together, what I want to do is kind of contrast it with some shortcomings that often pop up in our own love for one another. So in contrast with Paul's affection for the church in Thessalonica, I want to see three things about our own love and affection for one another. That often our love and affection for one another is too weak, too lazy, and too short. I'll say that again, but in contrast with Paul's love for the church, often our love for one another and our affection for one another is too weak, too lazy, and too short. I want to start by looking at how our affection for one another is often too weak. And we see this in contrast with the strength of Paul's affection for this church. Look at verse 17 with me, where he says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time. In person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. The, the word Paul uses here in the Greek for, uh, for being separated or torn away, it, even in reading it in the English, and I'm reading here from the ESV, but even in the English as you read it, it there's a certain violence in the language. And in the Greek, it was actually a word that was usually used for, to describe being made an orphan. And now it would be used in both ways. It would be used to describe a child who had lost a parent, but also used to describe a parent losing a child. So Paul says here, he feels as if he's been ripped away from his children and vice versa. His spiritual children, but children nonetheless. And again, Paul's not 
over the top here in his language. He's being honest in how he feels. He, he feels as if, in the fact that he can't be with them, he feels as if he's lost a child, that he's orphaned. You know, think of, many of us have dealt with similar types of scenarios, whether it be the, the loss of a child, the alienation of a child, the, the deployment of a spouse, and maybe even just a, a short business trip that keeps us away from home longer than we'd like to be. Or you miss the individual, you, you can't stop thinking about them, you, you wonder what they're doing at any given moment. Counting down the days, maybe even crying yourself to sleep at night. That's how Paul feels about this church in Thessalonica. It seems likely that there may have been some accusations against Paul, as there, well, that was pretty much par for the course, wherever Paul went. But Paul seems to write to either, in this letter here, to either hopefully cut off some accusations at the past, the fact that, that Paul had been able to spend such a short amount of time in Thessalonica, and the fact that he hadn't been back yet, Paul seems to have been a bit concerned that he was going to be accused of, of kind of doing just some drive-by evangelism. Just kind of being there, leaving, not able to get back. And the church was still suffering and going through some hardships for their faith. The fact that Paul, and he had with him at the time, Silas and Timothy, they had to leave Thessalonica so quickly and hadn't been able to return yet. And Paul was worried that, that some may be accusing him of being in the ministry for the wrong reasons. That whenever things got tough, he cut and run. Thankfully, it appears that was actually not the thinking of the church in Thessalonica. They actually thought well of Paul and remembered him fondly. But Paul still seems to have a fair level of concern that he wants him to understand that the fact that he couldn't be with them had nothing to do with any lack of affection, in fact, just the opposite. So Paul assures them in verse 17 that even though that he's not able to be with them in person, that doesn't mean that they are far from him in his heart, he says. In fact, just the opposite. Notice how he talks about longing to see them face to face. I mean, we've all felt like this. It wasn't all that long ago that we experienced this. You know, just remember back. I hope I don't raise any bad memories, but remember back to the days of the pandemic and where everything was online and Zoom seemed kind of fun and exciting for about one week. And then all of a sudden, that Brady Bunch collection of faces on your screen wasn't enough, was it? The longing of seeing someone face-to-face, -face, not even a face on a screen, but just seeing someone face-to-face -face increased and almost became agonizing at points. And Paul experienced that a lot, both with the church in Thessalonica and other churches as well. Paul agonized over not being able to be face-to-face -face with the churches he ministered to. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and, Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. This is the stuff that kept Paul up at night, not being able to see the Lord's people face to face. His ministry, the nature of his ministry meant that, as we know, that Paul traveled and couldn't be everywhere all at once. And it was a great struggle for him wherever he went to not be able to be with these churches face to face, to, the, to be with the people he ministered to. And that was especially true of the church in Thessalonica. See, Paul talks about here and he describes the, the fact that he's not able to be with them even though he longs to be. We see the strength of Paul's affection for them. It's the type of affection that, yes, Paul had as kind of the church planter, but it's also the type of affection Paul commends to all of us as the Lord's people. 
Romans 12, verses nine through 10, Paul says this to the church. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Isn't it interesting that Paul writes to a church there in Romans and he says, you know, love one another, but he doesn't just say love one another. He says, love one another with genuine love. Don't just go through the motions. Don't do it begrudgingly. There's a sense of which Paul is telling us what to do, but also how to feel. The Bible does that sometimes. It encourages us what to do, but it also encourages us and tells us what should be in our hearts. And Paul says, love one another, but he doesn't just say love one another. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with a love that's genuine. Not just going through the motions, but love one another with a, with a love and affection that's normally reserved for family members. And so we see here that Paul, when he's not able to be with them, we see the strength of his love for the church when he's not able to be with them. You know, I hope that there is a big hole in our lives when we're not with the Lord's people. There should be, after all. You know, I'm always a bit encouraged whenever I leave and go on vacation, or even on a Sunday like today, and, and even though I'm just down the street from my church, and I come back, and it feels like I haven't been there forever. And I say, praise God for that. But some of us, perhaps, perhaps our affection for one another is so weak that we hardly notice when we're absent. Now, Paul's not being legalistic and saying we should never miss church for any given reason, no matter whether rain or shine or sickness or vacation or whatever. That's not what Paul's saying here. That's not the point. But Paul felt it when he wasn't there. This was for the church, and this was an affection Paul had for the church as a whole. Now, it's important to understand that Paul was not best friends with every individual in Thessalonica. Paul had a close circle of best friends. In fact, they're with him, and they're part of writing this letter, Silas and Timothy. Jesus had 12 disciples, and even amongst the 12, he had a closer inner circle. That's the way relationships work. But still, when it came to the church as a whole, the body as a whole, Paul couldn't stand to be away from them. And when he was, he felt like he was an orphan. He felt like he had been ripped away from his family. So we see the strength of Paul's affection in contrast to sometimes the weakness of our own affection. We see more here. As we move through the text, we see that not only is our affection sometimes too weak, sometimes our affection for one another is also too lazy. Look at verse 18. Let's see what I mean by this. Paul begins to explain a little bit more why he couldn't come back to them. And he says, because we wanted to come to you. And then Paul, he's writing here with Silas and Timothy, but now he inserts his own little personal note that he feels this way himself. He says, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul wants them to understand that that Paul and those with him, they had done everything they could to return to this church over and over again. Paul says, I've tried to do that over and over again to get back to you. Paul had not been lazy about trying to get back together with this church. Paul poured every ounce of effort he could into being with this church again and again and again. He gets even very personal in verse 18, where he says that that he himself has poured in all this effort to get with them again and again. 
What did it take to keep Satan or to keep Paul away from this church? It's not a what, it was a who. Satan himself, it took Satan himself to keep Paul away from this church in Thessalonica. Now, Paul doesn't give us a lot of detail here about what the exact tactics of Satan were that were used to keep Paul away. Of course, that doesn't stop any number of commentators to speculate on what it was that kept Paul away. That's what you do in commentaries, I guess. Whether it was just an increase in opposition that kept Paul or health issues, the list goes on and on. Whatever the case, Paul ultimately says Satan himself had hindered Paul from rejoining this church face to face. Now, it does appear that, thankfully, eventually, Paul did make it back to the church in Thessalonica in, in Acts chapter 19 and 20, but that hadn't happened yet when Paul wrote these letters. Paul, the reason that Paul had not been back to the church, it was not because he was lazy. It was not because he got distracted by other ministry responsibilities. It wasn't because he had forgotten about them. It wasn't because travel was just too hard and difficult, and he didn't want to experience any jet lag or road lag. He tried again and again and again, but Satan had stopped him. And the word Paul uses here for, for hindered, it's a, it's a military term. That Satan had, had stood opposed to Paul in battle. You see, Paul is intimately aware that one of Satan's tactics is to keep the Lord's people from one another. Now, this, of course, was no challenge to God's sovereignty. God's plans were not frustrated. In fact, Paul was still confident of this. He says this in the very last verse, or a couple of verses of our text. But he also gets into this in the next text, in the next section of, if you read on into chapter three, Paul was still able to send Timothy eventually to the church in Thessalonica. And he hears back from Timothy about how well they're doing. That Satan's efforts to keep the Lord's people apart, to keep the influence of Paul away from the church in Thessalonica, Satan's efforts of that had, had been frustrated and thwarted. But this, of course, doesn't change that Paul knew that Satan's plans and intentions, of course, involved keeping the Lord's people from one another. You know, it is something we so quickly forget as Christians that we have an adversary. We have an adversary, the devil, who we're told prowls like a roaring lion on the hunt, as we're told in 1 Peter 5.8. That he opposes us as the Lord's people because he opposes the Lord himself. Now, our adversary, the devil, the devil like a roaring lion, loves it when his targeted prey is isolated from the pack. He relishes a Christian with a spiritual limp who doesn't stand a chance away from the herd. This involves many things, of course. You know, Satan, we understand that, that Satan tempts, that he works, that we have an adversary, that he, he is a murderer and a liar. And this involves many things that he might tempt us with, but it also comes in the form of dividing the Lord's people and keeping us from the Lord's people. And Paul was watchful against it. This is what I mean when we say that our love for one another is often lazy, meaning that we're, not, we're spiritually lazy, we're not on guard or watchful about the temptations that so easily creep into our love, that get in the way of our love for one another. We need to be watchful against Satan, as Peter counsels us to, as Paul was here. And part of being watchful against the schemes of Satan is to be watchful over our love and affection for one another in the church. 
If Satan had his way, he would rip us apart physically from one another. He will divide, he will stir up. And so be watchful, dear Christian. And that's part of why Paul writes to the Thessalonians who, who love one another so well and yet encourages them to do this. And why does he write them to do something they're already doing? It seems redundant. Because Paul knows that we have an enemy, that there are always, there are always new threats and new conflicts and new issues and just sometimes just new annoyances. <laughs> Paul understands that these things surface in new ways and sometimes in ways we never could have predicted. So Paul was not lazy in his love. He was on guard. He knew Satan's tactics. And the only thing that explained Paul not being able to get to this church physically was that Satan himself had hindered him. Now, Paul's not saying, of course, to compromise on truth, to not hold fast to the gospel and to just love one another and get along and, and to sacrifice truth and theology at the foot of, that, of all of that. That's the opposite of what Paul's saying. In fact, Paul makes it very clear that the truth of the gospel is vital and where our love for one another comes from. And we'll see that in the next couple of verses here. That the truth of the gospel is the spring from which this love flows. And that brings us to our third and final point, where our affection is often too weak, too lazy. Also, our affection for one another sometimes is just too short. It's too short because it's not eternal. Look at verses 19 through 20, where Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Those are astounding verses that Paul writes about this church. And this is where we begin to see the foundation for Paul's affection for the church, because it is fair to ask that question, isn't it? How in the world did Paul have this sort of affection? Where do we get that sort of affection? Where does it come from? And Paul gives us a look at where it comes from here as he talks about the fact that he, his affection for them is grounded and looks ultimately towards the Lord's return. Paul speaks of his, his eternal relationship with this church. Paul had a very long view of his relationship with the body of Christ. Yes, it's true, Satan may have hindered Paul from coming and maybe Paul would not have made it back. He didn't know yet at the time. But Paul also knew that even if that happened, even if Satan hindered Paul from ever returning to Thessalonica, that one day he would see the Lord's people gathered before the Lord on the last day, and this was a great joy and comfort for Paul. In fact, Paul says so much here that he says that the Thessalonians, they were his hope and joy. They were his crown in boasting before the Lord when he returns, this, this crown, this athletic prize, like, much like a medal would be in the Olympics, where athletes spend their whole lives working for a piece of metal around their necks. For Paul, this was what the Thessalonians were like. And Paul looks ahead to the day when the church would be gathered to the Lord at his second coming, and he knows that the Thessalonians will be there. And Paul was going to be so proud of them, so grateful. And this filled Paul with unbelievable joy in the midst of his physical absence from them. See, you know, we look forward to a lot of things about the Lord's return, as we should. We look forward to the fact that, that we'll 
being, there will be an end to suffering and temptation and trials and all the tears will be wiped from our eyes. And of course, chief and above all is they'll see our Lord face to face. But part of the joy of the Lord's return for us is the fact that we will see one another. Maybe those we ministered to, counseled, discipled, all of us standing before the Lord one day at his coming. Paul knew that this relationship that he had with this church, this spiritual relationship that he had with the Lord's people, that it was not just for this time on earth. It was also for the new heavens and the new earth. Paul has been calling them brothers all the way through, and and Paul knew that he was joined with this church now and in eternity because of the work of Jesus Christ. You see, our affection for one another, sometimes it's just limited by time because we have such a short view. And often what we need is a longer view, rather an eternal view, a view in light of Jesus' return. It's this It's really where we see here that Paul has this long view that really ultimately boils down to hope. And hope in the New Testament, it's not just hoping that something happens. It's not gambling or bargaining that something happens. It is a firm and settled conviction that something in the future will happen, namely the Lord's return. And Paul trusts that God is going to bring glory to his son, Jesus Christ, through his people even those who can sometimes be challenging to get along with. See, that's part of where Paul, the affection that Paul had was this eternal hope that he had, that there were challenges now. Even Satan himself was involved in hindering aspects of the relationship that Paul wanted to have with this church. But he understood that Jesus was coming back. Whatever whatever sort of temporary successes that, that Satan appeared to be having, Paul knew that ultimately the church was going to march forward, the Lord was going to return, and the Lord's people would be gathered to the Lord. This means for us that as we love one another, our affection for one another means that it should have a lot of patience involved. As we rejoice in the fact that the Lord is making us more and more like himself. I was reading some from the author, Jane Lee Dunlop, and he puts it this way. He says, learn to love the glimpses you see in your church of Jesus' glory, trusting that there's more you cannot yet see, and you will learn to love your brothers and sisters with the affection of Christ. See, this hope we have in God glorifying himself through his people, is part, it's part of what builds this affection into our lives for one another, into our hearts, even in the midst of challenges and difficult relationships, that we can rejoice that God is doing the greatest good imaginable making others more like Jesus. There's nothing better. We might be tempted to think there are better things, and I know we all struggle with that, but that's the the end of it all. It's the Lord making his people more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And that includes real people in your church, people with faces, that Jesus' glory is being revealed as we and they are conformed more and more to the image of Jesus, which will be completed finally on the day of the Lord's return. That was Paul's view of ministry. 
of presenting the church complete in Christ. Paul didn't have some sort of short-term perfectionism in mind, but he had a, a, an understanding and a trust and a hope that one day the Lord's people were gonna be conformed finally and completely to the image of Jesus Christ. And he would see that. He would be there too. And he was rejoicing in that fact. You see, part of one of the things as Christians is we, we are called to remember who we are in Christ. And I know we hear that a lot and we understand that a lot and we see that in the Bible. That, and Paul writes that so much to individual Christians. We need to remember who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. But we also, as Christians, we need to remember our common identity in Christ. See, Paul's affection for this church, it's not ultimately based on superficial things. It's not based on their social status, their common interests. Paul doesn't view the church as just a a club that happens to share an interest in religion together. It wasn't a book club that just happened to like the same books. Paul's affection wasn't based on that. It wasn't based on a shared appreciation for certain types of movies or even what race they were or even what social causes they were passionate about. Paul's affection was based on their common identity in Jesus Christ, that they were adopted together into the family by God's grace, that they were justified, declared righteous, they were redeemed, forgiven, and that they would one day be glorified together in the Lord's presence forever. And what a joy that was for Paul to reflect on. See, there's going to be trials now. Paul is not Pollyannish. He's, he, he's not over-romanticizing what it was like to be in a church. Paul had, it doesn't take long, read a few of Paul's letters, and Paul had a lot of struggles with a lot of churches. And he had, a, he had struggles with the Thessalonian church. You read on in the letter, and all was not perfect in the Thessalonian church. There were a lot of questions about the Lord's return, and there was a lot of laziness going on. And Paul addressed those. And Paul desperately wanted to be with them. Paul's relationship with them was not perfect. It was not the way everything he wanted it to be. But Paul experienced the hope that came from remembering that when the Lord returned, it would be eventually. Paul makes this point, of course, in his other letters too. It's not just to the Thessalonians. Paul would sometimes tell churches that, you know, just in case we're wondering and thinking, Paul... Really, you know, if you're like me, you know, you're kind of a stoic Scottish person sometimes, and you just like look, you're like, this just still seems a little gushy for me, Paul. And sometimes Paul would stop and tell churches, he said, it's right for me to feel this way about you, just in case you're wondering. For example, he wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 1 verse 7, where he felt similarly about them, and he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. Why? For you are all partakers with me of grace. See, ultimately, Paul's affection from this, for this church came from God, came from the Holy Spirit. Especially as we come to the end here and we're still looking at our own affection for one another and thinking, yeah, I, I'm still not there yet. I'm, I'm with you on that. This means, one of the things this means is that if this ultimately comes from God and the grace of God we share with one another, then it means that we need to seek God's help in this. Pray for this affection because this is a supernatural affection. In fact, Paul says as much in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16, where Paul says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. 
Titus, one of Paul's co-workers. And Paul there, as he writes to the Corinthians, who Paul had a lot of hardships with the church in Corinth, in case you might recall. And yet Paul was still overwhelmingly affectionate for them. But he also says Titus was affectionate for them. But notice what else he says about Titus. Where did this affection that Titus had for the church in Corinth, where did it come from? Paul says, God put it in his heart. God put it there. And Paul is so thankful that Titus had the same care and affection for the Corinthians, a church that was not easy to love. A church that did not think all that well of Paul very often. And Paul says, this affection came from God, not from the things they shared in common, not from the the earthly and physical things that they shared in common. Those are all great and wonderful, and we can be thankful for them when they happen. But ultimately, at the end of the day, that affection was miraculous, which means we should go before the Lord pleading for that affection to be awakened in our hearts for one another. You see, our affection, as we see it in contrast with Paul's, our affection, it It may be too weak, it may be too lazy, and it may be too short at times. But we can be thankful to God that God's work in the church and amongst his people is none of these things. God's work and love for the church is not even hindered by Satan himself. His head was crushed all the way back in the Garden of Eden. We can be encouraged in this fight as we fight for affection for one another, as we struggle with loving one another that may we come back to the grace of God that we all share in together and partake in together. That's part of why we take the Lord's Supper together. No, I don't say, hey, go home, take communion by yourself when you get home and have your lunch. In fact, Paul says just the opposite when he actually writes to church in Corinth and elsewhere. Because it's a visible and tangible reminder of the grace of God in Christ that we share together like a meal. And even if we excel in loving one another, may we grow more and more and be on guard against our enemy who wants to hinder us from being with and having affection for the Lord's people. And even as we struggle and strive and deal with difficulties and challenges and temptations, may we ultimately look ahead to the day when we will be together with the Lord's people as brothers and sisters face-to-face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you as the one who puts this care for one another into our hearts. So we come to you this morning and we ask you for that affection for one another. We ask that you would give us this affection for one another, an affection that is strong, that is faithful, and that sees one another in the light of eternity, an eternity that we share together as your people. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.